welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Philippians reads, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we're uh, immensely thankful for your church this morning. We're thankful for everybody that you've assembled here. We're thankful for those that you've stirred up to lead. And Lord, we just, we just feel extremely loved by you this morning. Very cared for you. Lord, as we open your word, we, we pray, Lord, that you would alter our hearts as we see Paul's heart in this passage, as he becomes very personal with us in this letter, Lord, we see things in his heart that we don't see in our own hearts. And Lord, we want that to change. Lord, we have been given this Apostle Paul as an example of our faith. And um, we pray, Lord, that we would grow to want the things he wanted and, and desire the things he desired. Because we know, Lord, that he is in this passage mirroring Christ's own heart. And so we pray, Lord, this is something only you can do. Only you could change our hearts. And we want this, Lord, in the moment. Um, We want to be altered during the preaching of the word. We don't necessarily need a list of things to go apply later. We want to have an encounter with you where we walk away changed, where our hearts are different than when we came in because your spirit had been at work. And that's something only you can do, and we pray that you would do it. And we thank you for your faithfulness to to do that week after week with us. And so we pray, Lord, come, enter our hearts by your spirit, change everything in there that needs changing. We pray, Lord, that from the inside out, we'd reflect your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul was not a superhero. Um, I think it's really easy for us uh, to think of Paul as like a Christian superhero. Like you got the New Testament, you've got all these different kind of superheroes. It's Kind of like a, you know, uh, an Avengers list of different believers that we can look at and we go like, oh, that's amazing. Look at what they did. Oh, he's my favorite. Oh, this one's great. But the Lord didn't give us Paul to be our superhero. The Lord actually gave us Paul to be our example. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so whether we see Paul as a superhero or an example makes a really big difference in how we live. You know, it's the difference between admiring Paul and imitating Paul. It's a big difference. Because, guys, no one expects you to imitate your favorite superhero. Okay? No one expects you to fly. No one expects you to turn green and destroy things. 
to bend time, to shoot, you know, webs from your wrists. When you have a superhero, you put them on a pedestal and you go, wow, isn't that person great? There's no pressure there to imitate them. In fact, they're in a totally different category. And we have, unfortunately, tend to put Paul in the mental category of superhero. And so we miss God's gift of an example to follow. And that becomes really evident in this passage because Paul wants to let us in on how he thinks and what he desires so that we could actually imitate him. Paul was a human being just like us. He was a, a man just like us, but his life was very unlike ours. And the reason why his life was so different is because his heart was so radically transformed by the Spirit. And we can see that in this very personal passage. We see the way he wrestles with things. We see the way he defines deliverance. We see how he wrestles with living or dying. And we see something very different than what's in our own hearts. Amen? And this difference, this change in his heart can be yours too. It can be mine. We can be like him. In fact, he's given us an example to be like him. And that's what discipleship's about. Discipleship is about being transformed from the inside out. And so in this text, Paul gives us a window into his heart. He shows us how he thinks so that the Spirit would change our hearts to desire the things, the better things, the things that Paul desires, to have his same thought process and so therefore to have a life like his. So we can imitate him as he imitates Christ. And that's what discipleship's about. Discipleship is not just about doing the right things. It's about more and more wanting the right things. Don't you want to want the right things? You know, that's what discipleship's about. It's about wanting the right things. And so this morning, we're going to look at Paul, and we're going to see Paul's definition of deliverance, because it's different than ours. And we're going to see Paul's dilemma in his heart about death. And as we do that, what I'm praying is that the Spirit would, would, would cause us to conform to what we see here. So first, let's look at Paul's definition of deliverance. Um, last week, we saw that Paul, he's in prison in Rome. He's writing this letter to the Philippians. He is literally chained to a Roman soldier, and they're on rotation being chained to him. And yet he rejoices because Christ is being preached. You can see that in the beginning of verse 18. And in this, I'll rejoice. So Paul, he's in these chains. He lifts them up to the Philippians, and he says, you know what? This works too. This works too. This spreads the gospel too. And in that, I'll rejoice. And I love, guys, his defiant joy. Take a look at verse 18. Part of it's in the paragraph above, if uh, your Bible's laid out. Look for the very beginning of, of 18. It's a little higher up. He says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed. In that I'll rejoice. And then he says, Yes, and I will rejoice. I love that defiance. You know, you've got the present tense, I rejoice now, and yes. I'm going to rejoice in the future. So what we're going to see right here in verses 18 through 20 is a second reason why Paul's rejoicing. So he rejoices that Christ is being preached, even in prison. He can rejoice in that. And he also rejoices, take a look at verse 18. And yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by death or by life. And so Paul rejoices because he's sure that his imprisonment is going to lead to deliverance. You might say, okay, so what does he mean by that? What does he mean by he knows he's going to be delivered? And you might say, well, that's easy. Paul probably assumes that he's going to be spared execution, and he's going to get released, and he's happy about that. He's going to get out of prison. He's not going to get killed. And there is in verse 25 a hint that he does believe that. He says, I know I'll remain and continue with you all. 
And spoiler alert, he does. He doesn't die in this imprisonment. He goes out for another six years, ministers, gets killed later in a different imprisonment. But I don't think that Paul's deliverance that he's so happy about right here is him getting out of prison and not being killed. And the reason is, look at the end of verse 20. This deliverance that Paul's so happy about, it says, is whether by life or by death. So whatever the deliverance is that he's so happy about is a type of deliverance that can happen whether he gets killed or whether he gets freed. Whether he stays in prison or whether he runs free, whether he gets executed, whatever happens, he says, this deliverance is something that doesn't depend on circumstances. It's a deliverance that's by death or by life. See again what it looks like, verse 25. And this will turn out for my deliverance, verse 20, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. What does this deliverance look like? Negatively, it looks like he won't be ashamed. Being delivered for Paul meant that when he stood before Nero and went on trial, which he's going to do really soon, that he would not be ashamed of Christ. could be really easy for him to be ashamed. This is the ruler of the world. He's standing before all these people. And he's got to communicate the gospel, which is foolishness to them. And what deliverance looks like, he goes, I'll know I'm being delivered by God if I can stand there unashamed. That's deliverance. And then positively, deliverance looks like full courage and honoring Christ in his body. Okay, that's Paul's definition of deliverance. That no matter what happens, whether he's released or whether he rots away in prison or whether he's executed, Paul's confidence is that the Lord will deliver him by making him unashamed of Christ have him have full courage and honor Christ in his body. That's what it means for Paul to be delivered from prison. How about you? What is your definition of deliverance in trial? Right? You guys either are or will face all sorts of difficult trials, difficult family drama. You guys will have medical problems. You guys, some of you will have wayward kids. You have chronic pain. You have broken marriages, you have failing careers, mental health struggles. I mean, if you aren't experiencing some of those things now, you will experience those things. And what I think this passage challenges us to ask, what's your definition of deliverance in that? When you pray for God to deliver you from those struggles, what does deliverance look like? And, you know, of course, with all those things, we want to pray for you. We want to pray that those circumstances change. We want to pray you get healed. We want to pray your marriage is restored. We want to pray all these things would happen, right? That your finances would come around. We want to pray for all those things, and we're always here to pray for you for those things. But the real deliverance, guys, is that with full courage, now, as always, Christ will be honored in your body by life or by death, right? That's the real definition of deliverance. You know, real deliverance is having the courage to do the next right thing that will honor Christ in your body. For years, I struggled with deep bouts of depression. I've talked about this before in the Psalm series. But the darkness would often be so strong, like nothing seemed worth doing. Often, I did not want to live. And in those dark times, what I needed was the courage to just do the next right thing. You know, the, the next right thing even if I felt like nothing was worth doing. And so, what's the next right thing? Like, in some days when, you know, I wanted to be dead, the next right thing was to play with my kids. It's the next right thing. I know that's right. I can do that, you know? The thing I know is right. I don't feel like doing anything at all. I don't even feel like being alive, but I can do that. 
or going to work was the next right thing, or loving my wife was the next right thing, or serving you guys was the next right thing. There was always a next right thing to do. And the Lord actually miraculously, seems for years, has healed that depression. But the real deliverance, guys, the real deliverance was not that healing. The real deliverance, according to this text, was every time he gave me the courage to do the next right thing, to honor Christ in my body, when I didn't want to do anything. Like, that was deliverance. That's the kind of deliverance Paul wants here. He wants the kind of deliverance that, that he will honor Christ in his body in the moment. And guys, that's a deliverance he rejoices in. He's confident God will give it because God can give that in any circumstance. Even if he doesn't heal, even if he doesn't, you know, repair, even if he doesn't give those earthly blessings, he can deliver us in that way. That's Paul's definition. Paul's definition of deliverance is not freedom from adversity. Actually, the text indicates the adversity is part of the deliverance, that the adversity actually gives an opportunity for Christ to be honored in your body. Because you, especially if you're in suffering right now, have a unique way to honor Christ in your body. It's amazing, huh? Paul's worst fears were not execution and imprisonment, but that he would lack the courage to honor Christ in his body, to honor Christ in the moment. And Paul's happy. He knows that that's not going to happen. Look at verse 19. He says, For I know through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. You know, he's confident that the Spirit is going to help him to have courage and, and honor Christ in his body. And he's confident because he knows, like, people are praying for him. He knows that their prayers are going to cause the Spirit to deliver him in that way. And I would just challenge this morning, guys, let's pray for that kind of deliverance for each other. You know? We believe in God healing and restoring and giving recovery. We pray for those things. But in addition to praying for those things, let's pray something like this. That, that the person right in front of you, you lay your hand on them and you say, you pray that they would not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ would be honored in their body, whether by life or by death. Not the prayer you want? Let's pray that for each other, that the Spirit would give courage to honor Christ in our bodies no matter what comes. That's the real deliverance that Paul has here. So that's a bit of heart change we needed. You know, we read this thing that Paul's thinking, and we're like, man, that's not what I thought deliverance was. You know, and I think you can feel it right now, right? You feel like, that makes sense. You know, that's heart change in the moment. That Paul revealed how he felt, what he thought. You've come along with him for a little bit, and you're like, I could see that. I could see that as real deliverance. That right there is the spirit changing your heart. Isn't that amazing? You didn't write down, change your definition of deliverance today or this week. Do these exercises. Like in the moment, God's word is able to change our hearts like that. So we need that. We need a new definition of deliverance. But we also need a new dilemma about death. Sounds odd, but we do. You'll see. Paul knows that he's going to be delivered. He says, I'll be delivered. I'm, I'm positive of it. It's either going to be by death or by life. I'm either going to be delivered or I'm going to walk out of here. I'm going to be delivered or I'm going to be carted out of here. I'm going to be delivered one way or the other. I'm, I'm confident of that. And so that triggers a question, which would be better? It's kind of a good question, right? He's like, I know I'm going to be delivered one way or another. Which would be better? Would it be better to get freed from the Roman jail and go free and do more missions? Or would it be better for his head to be removed from his body? Right? You're like, that seems like a simple question. It's not entirely obvious to Paul. Take a look at verse 21. He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. And then listen to this. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to go and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain on in the flesh is more necessary on your account. 
Now, it's not that Paul actually gets to pick. It's not like the Lord is like, take some time, decide, and then just give me a signal what you want, you know? It's not that. What Paul's doing here is he's it generated this question, and he's going to work it out in front of you. He wants to show you his thought process, whether it's better to live or die. And the reason is so we can imitate his thoughts, and so that the Spirit will give us those same desires, so we can imitate him as he imitates Christ. Because remember, Paul's not a superhero. He's somebody to follow. And so which is better? Better to live, better to die. Or to put it another way, why should we prefer living over dying? And I think culturally, and most of us are very influenced by our culture, maybe we would say, this is super obvious, right? Super obvious. Life is better than death. Unless, of course, your life becomes so painful that death is better by comparison, right? Simple question, simple answer. But notice that's completely the opposite of the way Paul thinks. I think what I just gave you could probably go like, yeah, I kind of feel that way. It's completely the opposite of the way Paul thinks. You know, you wonder why Paul lived differently than this. It's because he thought differently. He lived in total reality. We tend to want to stay alive because we believe that life is better than death and that death is the end of all the good things, the good things in life. And uh, we would only choose death if pain kind of drove us to that point, that death is the end of the pain of life. But Paul says exactly the opposite. Paul wants to, he wants to die for a different reason than we do. <laughs> he wants to die not to avoid pain, but to gain Christ. He wants to die for a different reason than we do. And he also wants to live for a different reason than we do. He wants to live for others, not for himself. Isn't that challenging? It's super challenging. Which makes a real dilemma in Paul's heart, and you can see it in the text. He actually goes back and forth in the text. He says, well, to, to live is Christ, so maybe I want to live. And he's like, oh, well, to die is gain. Maybe I want to die. Uh, to depart and be with Christ, that's far better. Okay, maybe I want to die now. And it's like, but, you know, it'd actually be better if I lived to, to help you guys out. And he's having this internal battle, and I, I really think for us to have the same battle in our hearts, because, guys, it's not good enough for me to just say, you don't think like Paul, you should be ashamed. Go have lunch. <laughs> right? Like, that's not helpful. That's easy. That's easy. The harder thing would be for the Spirit to actually help us to get in the inner workings of Paul's thought here and come away actually feeling differently about death and life. And so how do we do that? Well, it seems to me the thing that we really need is we need to see more about the greatness of being with Christ so we would embrace death better, but we also want to see the greatness of having a fruitful life in Christ so we'd embrace life more. Then you could have that wrestle he has. Instead of being like, no, it's obvious. It's like, no, you want the wrestle. Okay, so how about the greatness of being with Christ? We see that in verse 21. He says, to die is gain. He explains why in verse 23. He says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. For anyone that's in Christ, dying is an unqualified gain, a profit, advantage. It's winning, okay? My desire is to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. And notice, guys, that there's just one factor here that completely tips the scales to dying for Paul. And that is, where do I get the most Jesus? That's his only question. Live, die. Where do I get the most Jesus? Dying? Okay, deal. That's great. Let's do that. Like That's his immediate response. Uh, guys, one thing I want you to see in this text is the gospel isn't about getting something other than Christ. What I mean by that is Christ is not a means to an end. Christ is not the way that you get something you really want. Christ is not the means, for example, to salvation. It's not that I really want salvation and it's great if Jesus gives me that. 
Christ is not the means to an end. Christ is the end. What do we get in salvation? We get Christ. Why did Jesus die and, and why was he resurrected? Christ died and was resurrected to give us Christ. He is the thing. He is the thing we're after. So the, the gospel is not about getting something other than Christ, whether it be grace or salvation or heaven or any of these things. Those are all very important. But the whole point is you get God. There's a um, great book on this. I got seven free ones down here. It's called God is the Gospel by John Piper. And if you guys would read that, you can have it. It's right here. Seven of them. Take one. But the whole purpose of the book is to show us that the title is God is the Gospel, that the gospel is about getting God. The gospel is about getting Jesus. Jesus is the prize, okay? And so to, to die as gain for Paul is not because it's an escape from pain or it gives him a better place or it unites him to loved ones. All those things are true, more than we can imagine. But the one factor that makes death an overwhelming win is verse 23. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. And um, as challenging as that idea is, I think as Christians, everyone in here that's a believer, you do get this. You do actually believe that Christ is better than anything else. Not always. Not when we're not thinking completely straight. But you do get this. And I want to do an experiment with you guys. So imagine the best day you've ever had in the best place you could have ever been with the best company you could possibly enjoy. So we're talking about the, the best day, the best place, the best company. Just imagine that. If you can imagine whatever that day was in your life. Or maybe if you need to imagine one that hasn't happened, you can imagine that. But our last trip to Zion, the one in Utah, our last trip to Zion in February was incredible. I mean, you always hope a vacation is going to be incredible. They rarely are. Usually you come back exhausted and maybe irritated with everybody. But our last vacation, it was incredible. It was snowing there. You know, we took the Odyssey up and we're driving up to Bryce from there. And we got stuck on the ice and it was sliding around. And my kids all had opinions of what I should do with driving. And even the ones that don't drive. And we're like kind of sliding as I'm, you know, accelerating, trying to get up this hill on this ice. And, and it was like sliding towards the cliff. And they were getting nervous. And I was like, not really sure whether I keep doing that. And then funny thing is, what you really want in that, those situations is a Subaru. So Subaru Outback after Subaru Outback passed us like, hey, how are you doing? I'm like, not good. <laughs> and they're like, okay. And they drove by. And then the next one is like little Subarus, nothing fancy, just driving right past us. Anyway, it was amazing, and we lived. I, maybe you could tell. <laughs> but it was snowing, and then there was another occasion on that trip where uh, the boys and I, we hiked the Narrows in the snow. So we got those bibs on, where we're, like, walking through the water, ice-cold water. Snow's coming down on us. You got, like, the snow on the beard effect, you know, that made me feel amazing. And, um, <laughs> and as we're doing this, I'm just thinking, like, I had this distinct thought, which I don't think I've ever had before, where I thought, this might be the best part of my life. Like, I might actually be in the best part of my life. Like, I thought, not just that day, but just this year or whatever, I, was, I just had this thought of, like, I don't think you can expect anything better than this. I think it'd be good to recognize when you're at the top of the mountain, you know? And I just felt like this, this could be the best day. And now, use your imagination. Think of whatever your day was. Make it, like, a thousand times better, okay? And then ask yourself, would you trade that day for a day spent in the full presence of Jesus? You know, to see him, to hear him, to speak to him, to enjoy all the wonderfulness that Jesus is. Like, would you trade? And you would, 100% of the time. Anybody that's in Christ would trade. 100% of the time you'd trade. 
right? So we do know this. We do know that Christ is better than life. Like, if you know Christ, you would give up every, literally everything you have to depart and be with him. And that's what death is. You're actually in on this. You just don't know it, but you, you, you're there, right? Don't you feel that right now? You're there. Um, I mentioned last week my cousin Emily and her story when she died of cancer really young. And I, I, I thought of this this week while I was prepping, but after her death, I talked to her mom, and uh, she told me at an amazing conversation that Emily had had with the hospice chaplain. This was a little bit before she died. Emily said to the hospice chaplain, she goes, she goes um, I don't know how to do this. And the chaplain was like, do what? And she goes, I don't know how to die. And I was thinking like, wow, that's profound. I, she's like, I don't really, I know I'm going to die. I don't know how to die. And it's just super cool. So the chaplain said this. He, he just said, you know, imagine Jesus reaching out his hand. Just imagine Jesus reaching out his hand in your mind. And then take the hand. And I was like, that is so awesome. Like, isn't that the most awesome thing to tell somebody on how to die? That's what we'll have. Like, Christ's presence, guys, was Paul's greatest desire, his craving, his longing, and it's yours too. When you're thinking straight, when you're living most fully in reality, like he was when he wrote this, to imitate Paul here would be to keep feeding that love for Jesus and let it dominate all your thinking. Like, that's how to prepare for that, is to feed your love for the person of Christ, and, and not just the gospel. I think this is an important distinction. Feeding your love for the person of Christ, not just the gospel. The gospel is beautiful. The gospel is wonderful. The gospel is the way in which we've been reconciled to God, and we'll get to enjoy Christ. But there is a sense in which we can just be so focused on the gospel message that we don't think much about Jesus the person, okay? John Calvin had a great way of talking about this. He said that we need to know Christ clothed in the gospel, right? So it's, it's not just knowing Christ as maybe a, a teacher or a judge, but knowing him as our Savior, our friend. So he's clothed in the gospel. That we love the gospel because the gospel is the way in which we get Christ. Isn't that beautiful? And I just think it, it, to have our hearts be more molded the way we see in this passage, develop a love for the person of Christ. How can you do that? You can read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You can read how people who knew him best described him, and they will stir your love for him. Like, make it a daily practice to stir up your love for Christ. Peter put it this way. He says to his audience he's writing to, he says, though you have not seen him, like I have, he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. I mean, Peter is kind of amazed at it, you know? He's like, well, I spent years with him. It makes sense that I would love him. You just have heard about him from us. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And so we can develop in that love. And so I just say, you know, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Dig into what Christ is like, the person of Christ. Learn to love the person of Christ. And read good books that unpack it. A book that I love and I've got free ones of these, too. By the way, you have to read these if you come pick them. They actually have, like, a little tracker on them, and a little camera sticks out of the front. It can tell, like, if we look through the little camera that's on here, on our computers at home, and it's just up against another book, you know, or it doesn't move, or it never sees your face, it'll set off an alarm. But this book is great, and just, it's called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. It's about the heart of Christ for you, and it's just a beautiful exposition of that from the Gospels. And so, you know, develop a love for the person of Christ as well as the work of Christ. It's Christ clothed in the gospel. Uh, so Paul did not prefer death because his life was so terrible. 
And his life was actually terrible, right? Chains, you know, stinky, sweaty Roman soldier chained to you, right? He's in prison. Paul preferred death not because his life was so terrible, but because Jesus is so wonderful. He saw death as gain because it would get him more of Jesus. And that's why as we look at his life, he is absolutely unafraid of death. He's absolutely unafraid of death because he's overwhelmed. When he thinks of death, he's not overwhelmed by the pain of death. He's overwhelmed by the gain of death. And so he's absolutely unafraid of death. And it makes sense. You're not going to be afraid of something that is going to instantaneously give you the thing you always wanted, right? That wouldn't make sense. But he has for years craved and longed for Jesus. And so, okay, so death is gain. We gain Christ. You say, okay, decisions easy, it's done. But no, Paul has a dilemma here, right? Look at verse 22. Which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. He's like, this is a tough one. It's actually not that easy. There's the greatness of being with Christ, which is far better. But then he says, verse 21, to live is Christ. Verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Verse 24, to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know I'll remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. And so why keep living? Like, why would I want to delay my own infinite, eternal happiness? It's a good question, right? You guys wake up thinking that? Like, why keep living? Why would I want to delay my own infinite, eternal happiness? Certainly someone thought that when they woke up this morning. Knowing that Christ is waiting for you there, why would you want to remain here? And Paul's answer is, other people's eternal happiness. He's willing to delay his, you know, if he gets a choice. He's like, I can delay my infinite happiness in Christ for the purpose of other people's eternal happiness. Listen to the way Paul, like, wrestles with it. There's this immediate joy that he gets in Christ the moment he is united with him, but then he goes, ah, yeah, but there's a chance to labor for more and more people to get to join me in enjoying that infinite happiness. So there's a real dilemma here. Do you feel it? You feel the dilemma? That's good. That's the spirit working. You're feeling the dilemma. Okay, those of you guys who are parents, you certainly feel that dilemma for your kids, right? You're a parent. You want to stay around as long as it takes for them to trust in Jesus and just like firmly root their trust in Christ, right? And then you'd be like, okay, we're good here then, right? You have that. Here's the deal. Paul has that for the whole church <laughs> and for other people who haven't heard. So you, you actually already experienced that draw of like, oh, not yet. Not so sure where my kids are at yet. I want to make sure they're totally grounded, then I'll go, right? And that's what he has. He has that dilemma. He has that heart. Enjoy Christ now? No, I want to delay my infinite joy for the eternal joy of others. And look how Paul describes what we're living for. So if, if that's the reason we're here, and he says it is, what does it look like? Here's what it looks like. Verse 22. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. So he's like, I'm not going to die now. I'm not going to be with Christ now because I could still have fruitful labor. You guys realize this is your only opportunity to point others to Christ. However long we have, this is it. There's no like in the new world going like, hey, you know, have you heard of Jesus? And he's like, yeah, dummy, that's why I'm here. It just wouldn't work that way, right? Like this is our only chance, guys, to point other people to Christ. The only chance for this fruitful labor. We got tons of time to kick it. We have tons of time to enjoy Jesus. We have tons of time to enjoy the world to come. This is our only chance for fruitful labor. The window closes on it, right? 
And the other cool thing, check this out. Think of this as a philosophy of ministry. Verse 25. I will remain and continue for what? For your progress and joy in the faith. Isn't that just a really great vision for ministry? You know, we just added Gabe as an elder, elder of our church, as a pastor of our church. And this is a philosophy of ministry here, right? Why do we remain here? For your progress and joy in the faith. Paul put it a different way in another letter. He said, we don't lord it over you. We don't lord it over your faith. We're workers with you for your joy. What is this about? It's about other people progressing and enjoying Christ more. What a great vision for your parenting, you know? Why do you remain here? For their progress and joy in the faith. What about discipleship? It's for their progress and joy in the faith. Why do we keep living? We have one last chance of fruitful labor and for other people's progress and joy in the faith. And I just ask you, is that what you're living for? You know, is that what you're living for? That is the reason why God doesn't have you currently enjoying infinite happiness with Christ. Okay? Let me start that over. This reason, fruitful labor and for the, for the mission of the gospel, is the reason that God doesn't currently have you enjoying infinite happiness with Christ. Okay? So, like, maybe we should get on it or something. That's why we're here. Because the other option is infinite happiness in Jesus. God's like, no, not yet. Older people, if you are still alive, and you are, we can see that, God is not done with you yet. God still has a mission for you. You're not done until he tells you you're done. He has you here for fruitful labor and for other people's joy and progress in the faith. This is why you're still here. Older people, your eternal happiness has been delayed for the purpose of reaping more fruit and for other people's progress and joy in the faith. I just love Paul's zest for life here. I think sometimes Paul, everybody thinks he's like dour and he's like depressed all the time, you know. They read Ephesians 2 and they're just like, ah, he's depressed all the time. He's just, everybody's terrible. That's not Paul. This guy has a total zest for life. He's not caught between two miserable things, right? He's not. He's caught between two wonderful options. As he's sitting in prison, he says, I don't know which one to pick. He's not like, which one's less horrible? They're both amazing. He's got two amazing options. There's the awesomeness of immediately being in the presence of Jesus, and then there's the awesomeness of remaining and being fruitful in Jesus. He's like, which to choose? And the thing is, if you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, you're caught between those two wonderful options. Isn't that amazing? And the reason you are is for you to live as Christ and to die as gain. On the cross, Jesus took your death to give you his life. Jesus did a little weighing life and death thing too, right? And what did he do? He chose your death, the death you deserve for your sin, so that you could receive his life. In Jesus, we have God the Son becoming a real man. He lived this full, vibrant life, unashamed and full of courage, always honoring God in his body, whether by death or by life. And then Jesus, at the end of this magnificent life on the cross, chose your death, the death that you should have died for your sin, to give you his life. And the life he gives you is not just eternal life, the life that is eternal, it goes on forever. It's not just that life he gave you, he actually gives you his life now, his life in your body. And perhaps that's a bit of what's going on in verse 21 when he says, to live is Christ, Funny thing in Greek there, there is no verb. It just reads this way. To live Christ. 
to live Christ. To insert the verb, to live Christ. Christ becomes everything about your life, to live Christ. <laughs> Christ is your purpose, he's your power, he's your focus, he's your meaning. He's every aspect of your life, your bodily real life here, he completely fills it. You know, when you came to trust in Christ, you got united to Christ. Everything that he is, is yours. His righteousness is yours. It covers you. It makes you right before God. But then also his life is yours. His life is living within you, right? You know, we imitate Paul as he imitates Christ, but there's something more here. Christ also lives in us. Isn't that amazing? When Paul says to live as Christ, Christ lives in us, guys. Through union with Christ, your heart and Christ's heart have been united. Like, is it an umbilical cord? Is it surgical tubing? It's the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit has joined Christ's heart and your heart so that Christ's very lifeblood flows through your spiritual veins as you abide in him. So what's going on in John 15. Abide in me and you bear much fruit. That his actual lifeblood courses through your spiritual veins as you abide in him. And so like Paul, in, in verse 8, he said that he has the affections of Christ for people. Like he has their, his emotions for them. That's what we have too, to live as Christ. Let's pray. Father, we're, uh, our minds have been renewed, to say the least. Lord, as we think about the way we should think about deliverance from our suffering, and the way we should think about whether to live or whether to die, as we think about these like profound issues of our life, Lord, we're just like stunned by a totally different way of thinking, and yet we agree. <laughs> we agree that the ultimate deliverance is that we would have the courage to do the thing that would honor Christ in our bodies, whether by death or by life. Like, we agree, Lord. We pray, Lord, do it. We rejoice in that deliverance that you give. And Lord, we agree. We agree that to live is Christ and to die is gain. We're so thankful, Lord, that we aren't really like the world, stuck between two terrible options as they contemplate. Those who don't know the future assume that this life and whatever misery they experience here is balanced with non-existence. And those who do know you're real and that you judge might be weighing the difficulties of life versus eternal judgment. But Lord, we're so thankful that in Jesus we're, we're like torn between two wonderful options to immediately enjoy your presence or to enjoy your presence in us as we seek to point more and more to, to your son Jesus. And it's just amazing. So Lord, we're thankful. We're thankful that we can't lose either way. We're thankful that in Christ, all is ours. And as Lord, as we take the Lord's Supper, as we take communion, we pray, Lord, that you would feed us on his presence, that even as I was talking about union with Christ, that we would experience that in the taking of the elements. Thankful, Lord, for uh, your gift of Gabriel as a pastor of our church. Pray, Lord, that you would um, bless him, bless his ministry with us, Lord. Um, we pray for many more. 
Pray for many more elders and deacons. And we just pray for the body, Lord, and just so thankful for the ministry of the saints here. That you've really created a, a, a hive of ministry as you equip and you send and you strengthen and you empower. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at covgraceminifee.org. May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.